Welcome back to one-on-one -on -one New York's longest running sports call-in show. I'm Sam Davis with Dylan Balsamo. Pleased to be joined by Brandon Scoopy Robinson, new uh, NBA analyst at uh, Valley Sports. Brandon, thank you so much for taking the time today to be with us. Gentlemen, thank you. I, I couldn't think of any place else that I would be today. So thank you for gracing me with your presence. That's so kind of you. Very, very appreciative. So looking at the the NBA playoff landscape, is there a team for you that that surprised you either as an early exit or a team that's kind of still fighting, still playing right now past their I mean, the Lakers are definitely a team that does that. But you know why? Obviously, with injuries throughout the course of the, the very short uh, NBA season or at least short recovery time because they were 72 games played. Um, and I think if the Lakers were healthy, uh, we'd be talking them defending their crown. So you have that. Um, to be honest with you, I am elated, but also surprised. I don't know if more elated than surprised or more surprised than elated that the Clippers um, did the damage that they did uh, against the uh, the Utah Jazz the other night. Um, but I think you really should be surprised because um, they had the personnel on the floor as I talked about that experiment, the two the two year experiment um, in year two for the Clippers. Uh, you know they're doing what they're supposed to do. I'm more surprised that um, you know people can't figure out whether or not Kawhi tore his ACL or it's a sprain or whatever it is. But um, or, and that's in the case of Kawhi Leonard. But I'll say this. One thing that gets lost in translation, particularly for Paul George in the last game, was that um, he had 16 rebounds, and 13 of those rebounds uh, were defensive rebounds. He also recorded two steals, also had a block, um, and it was the supporting cast. Terrence Mann came up big in the starting lineup. Everybody pays attention to the dunk that he had on uh, the Eiffel Tower. Uh, that is Rudy Gobert. Uh, they said it takes 15 minutes to get up all the way to the top of the Eiffel Tower. Homeboy got up on top of the NBA Eiffel Tower in about 2.5 seconds, and uh, he finished with 13 points in that game. But I, I'll say this, um, it, it's the combination of, in order for the Clippers to, 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 to finish what they, my late grandmother always said when it comes to relationships, you got to finish, she's from the South, finish what you started. And, um, she, you know, when you look at this, this series, okay, you, you took care of business then, but don't like, don't be that guy to just not like to get your people's hopes up. Don't shake up the soda and then expect it to just be a, 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 a small fizzle. Nah, man, that's going to explode. So you, you got to finish what you started. And, you know, the, the combination of Marcus Moore Sr., the combination of Patrick Beverly, the combination of uh, Bobby Schmurter's twin, Reggie Jackson, has to kind of come alive. And, uh, you know, Reggie Jackson came up big and, and, and did what he needed to do. Uh, you know, Scooby, I want to ask you another question just about the landscape of the NBA playoffs right now. Uh, you know, obviously this was the first season and who knows, maybe the last of, of this play-in tournament that started uh, that started this uh, these playoffs, if you will. And it seemed to me that that was in a real effort to get more teams that were, you know, uh, lower in the totem pole of the standings to get them involved in, in the playoffs and maybe see someone make a deep, surprising run. And now here we are, you know, coming into the second round the only team that was not a top four seed is the Atlanta Hawks. Um, it's just, it's all been the top seeds to this point. Uh, so um, first off, how, how did you feel about the play-in tournament? Let's get that first. And then also, um, how do you feel about the NBA's efforts to try and uh, ex expand these playoffs and, and, their, and their execution of doing so in this season? 
I was trying to fit a Bobby Schmurder reference in there and say something like it was all good about a, about a year ago before there was a playing tournament. But I'll say <laughs> that, um, you know, I wasn't a fan of the playing tournament at first, um, particularly because it was introduced to us in the bubble. And, um, you know, when we saw it, you saw in the end, it was really the Memphis Grizzlies and the Portland Trailblazers um, going toe to toe. And when you look at that last season, um, you know, and how it got to that point was the Blazers were struggling at the beginning of the season. They brought in Carmelo Anthony and it took some time for them to kind of get him into the groove. And, you know, you had Damian Lillard who was hurt. You had CJ McCollum during stretches that was hurt. And then a year later, about a year later, uh, Terry Stotts was let go as head coach. So when you look at that situation, I thought Memphis was more deserving and shouldn't have had to really compete because, they were consistent. Like as much as people talk about Zion Williamson, like RJ Barrett and John Morant made it to the playoffs or at least the bubble before uh, Zion Williamson did. And, you know, that's why you see coaching changes uh, in real time in, in New Orleans, but specifically to your question, um, I, this year's play in tournament impressed me more because the Warriors and the Lakers really felt like, um, a, 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 a deep playoff run. And I actually think that the Lakers ran out of gas by the time they were done with their playing tournament just to be stuffed. But, you know, I, I think the one thing that I like about this year's playoff is that um, this reminds me, it's reminiscent of 2019 because in 2019, LeBron and Steph weren't in the, um, well, Steph was, but LeBron wasn't in the finals then. And, you know, it, it's, you know, there is more out there than just LeBron. Like, I like LeBron. LeBron is my, personally, one of my, it actually is my favorite basketball player at this point. I enjoy, I enjoy watching him play, but um, I, I think there's going to come a point where LeBron is no longer in the, in the, in the NBA, where he's going to retire at some point, just based off of age, nothing I've heard, but um, we better start getting used to that. So I, I just feel like um, uh, it gives people a college basketball feel. Um, I think that over the last 10 years, there were points where we just knew that it was going to end up being Golden State and Cleveland in the finals. And looking at 20, the year 2021, where we are currently, like we really don't know who's going to be in it. Like people thought it was going to be Lakers, Nets. A great consolation prize would be Nets, Clippers. Uh, but surprisingly, if another team makes it, um, I don't think that there would be so much far cry with that. Like, imagine a world where the Bucks, who many thought would go to the finals a couple years ago, uh, actually did make it this year. Imagine a world where, you know, the Utah Jazz avenged 97 and 98 when Jordan was their daddy and, uh, you know, potentially won, you know, a trophy for, for, for the, for the uh, city of Salt Lake City. So, you know, I, I think it's not a foregone conclusion that it's Clippers Nets, but I think that this playing tournament gives people a chance to notice young stars uh, that maybe folks didn't pay attention to, like the John Morants of the future, the, J the Jamal Murrays of the future. And I think that the bubble helped usher that in as well, where we are currently. This is one on one Brandon Scoopy Robinson with us here, NBA analyst, Valley Sports. Uh, so, looking at here, you mentioned uh, Kawhi Leonard, of course, on the Clippers, obviously uh, hurt right now. A lot of injuries. It's been kind of the theme so far of the playoffs between, you know, we also mentioned James Harden, uh, Chris Paul, you know, in, in COVID protocols right now, obviously not injured, but, um, you know, Ky Kyrie Irving as well. Um, 
there's been plenty of remarks around that being this is a reason of the short turnaround from the bubble to the, the start of this current season, uh, a very short off season as it was. Do you think that's the reason why we're seeing so many injuries here come playoff time? Um, it's possible. I, I'm no doctor, but what I'll tell you is, you know, my, my NBA uh, broadcasting slash writing career began uh, during the 97, 98 season when I was 12 um, with the Nets when they were in New Jersey. And what I'll tell you is um, I remember I was around the first lockout um, back during the 99, 2000 season. And I remember even as a 12 or 13 year old kid, um, you know, four games and or five games sometime in seven nights where you might start playing a, a road game. Say you say you're the Knicks. If you played a road, a home game at Madison Square Garden on a Monday, you may end up in Portland by Sunday, which means in between there, you might have played again. Like Monday, you might have played at the Garden. Tuesday, you could have played in Seattle. Wednesday, you could have been in L.A. Thursday, maybe you had off. Friday, you're in, in, in San Antonio, Texas. And then Saturday and Sunday, you're anywhere between Seattle and Utah. And I feel like it's very similar now. And I've spoken to players that, that um, were playing during that era in the 90s and two, early 2000s that have said that, you know, in conversations they've had with current players and just their observations, either in front office roles or, you know, as, as analysts on television networks, that that's, it's reminiscent of that time. Um, the difference is the NBA season then was maybe like 50 or 60 games versus now it's like 72 games, um, a lot more internet, a lot more regional coverage, um, and a lot more national games. And I think that when you look at this season, people don't take into account, you play one night, you fly somewhere the next game, the air pressure in, in, in airplanes, the getting to the next city at midnight and then waking up at like seven, eight o'clock to go to shoot around to be there by 1030 to, you know, you play a game later that night to media obligations. If a 730 Eastern time game is, is being played, you're done on the court by 1030. You're not leaving the arena until almost midnight. And then you got to start that process over and over the next day on a day where sometimes maybe a, a team is playing one night, they can stay over the, that, night, that night and then leave in the afternoon the next day and go about their day. There's a lot of different things that were different this year that took place before the pandemic last year and even the season before that. And so I think just routine, you're used to a certain routine. You're used to um, not you know, getting your nose with swabs stuck in your nose every day to um, you know, a point where you were in Orlando for a long period of time and you didn't see your families. Like it's just so much basketball and so much politics and the business of basketball that has happened uh, since uh, the bubble. And I think that this summer will be the first slight chance of normalcy that you'll have because the regular season starts in October. But I think routine has been the difference maker as to why so much injuries have happened. And I also think some guys are playing for their next contract. So they're going extra hard. I also do think personally um, that, that a lot of guys uh, have lack of calcium in their diets. And I think sometimes that these sports drinks make your bones brittle. Um, and I think sometimes certain players are more top heavy than they are bottom heavy, meaning their upper bodies are great. And then their, their legs are chicken legs. And I think that 
there's just and I think all that cutting cutting and moving and this the, the style of play is you know fast break neck speed basketball and uh, it's just a lot to, to compact in 72 games that began in December in the regular season and ended in you know April May and you know it, it's just a lot I don't want to ramble but there's a lot going on at play you, you know um this actually transitioned quite nicely into, into something I really wanted to ask you about that had nothing well, to do with what we were discussing well. earlier. <laughs> um, I, I, uh, I found earlier, I was going through some of your stuff and I found you, you'd written for Respect Magazine and you had uh, done a lot of work regarding the connection between uh, sports and entertainment and, and the, um, the, create, the creation of a celebrity and, and the idea of a celebrity and that relation that has to sports and the connection of entertainment, even politics in some way. Um, I, I, I want to ask you, um, so how does an athlete become a celebrity? And also, what role do we in the media play in, in creating that? Well, to me, a celebrity is someone who's celebrated for what they do in their respective field. Um, I think that it's funny you mentioned that when I was in uh, grad school at Hofstra University, uh, I actually, my, my uh, grad thesis project was actually on celebrity and the changing nature of sports journalism. And um, one of the people that I sat down with during that process was Sasha Vujicic, who at the time uh, was dating Maria Sharapova. Uh, the tennis star and Maria Sharapova blurs that line as a celebrity uh, as well as an athlete because of uh, her looks and because of tennis just being a lot more highbrow uh, from my guesstimation and I think that uh, Sasha had the look because he was on a multi uh, championship winning Lakers team playing alongside the late Kobe Bryant um, Lamar Odom, who, you know, was attached to a Kardashian. That's a whole different dichotomy. That's a, di that's a horse of a different color as my geometry teacher in high school would say. <laughs> I, I think that when you look at the celebrity and the changing nature of sports journalism, I think that um, number one, you playing a sport makes you a celebrity. Who you're attached to makes you a celebrity, but also social media, your following, and just the overall landscape of all that comes with being who you are, the fashion, the blogs picking you up for what you say and do and more makes you that um, like, but I also think um, that guys like Zion Williamson and LaMelo ball um, are for this next generation of ball player. What, Le what Carmelo Anthony and LeBron James were uh, for 2000 for the 2000s, the early 2000s, like they carried that torch because when you look at, you know, LaMelo Ball and Zion Williamson specifically, I mean, their, their AAU games were standing room only. Um, they had the following before they stepped foot either in a college classroom or overseas off the plane. Uh, and I feel like, you know, LaMelo Ball picked up where Brandon Jennings was supposed to go when he came back from Italy and played in the NBA. LaMelo took it to the next level, whether, whether it was sneaker endorsements, whether it was, you know, winning the NBA's Rookie of the Year award to, you know, just all of his following that comes with him playing for the Hornets, where you got people overseas paying attention to just the Hornets because he played over there. And, and that goes back to the whole, you know, notion that, you know, even the balls, they consider some folks consider them the, the Kardashians of the NBA in that regard. I'm still kind of di digesting that because when you look at the Kardashians, the Kardashians were famous for the sake of being famous versus the balls. They created a buzz. They created their own brand. They created a sneaker. Their father's loud. But 
so did the Kardashians as it relates to creating their own brands. I think everybody's a brand. And when you look back at Michael Jordan, he set the distinction between his Jordan sneaker and the Jordan brand, where you hand-selected the Derek Jeters, the, the Roy Jones Juniors, the, the, the Ray Allens, the, the Eddie Joneses, Vin Bakers, and I can go on and on. Zion Williamson is the next generation of that Jordan brand ambassador. So I think when you talk about brands, money, politics, and more, um, this is what you get in the year 2021. But I think when it comes to politics, I think where we are as a society, uh, COVID, uh, George Floyd, uh, Breonna Taylor and more. Um, I think in the 90s, Michael Jordan and many other athletes, you know, were kind of stifled or shied away from speaking about politics because they were making so much money, which was, you know, a reverse from the Bill Russells, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's, the, 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 um, the, the Muhammad Ali's uh, who were very socially conscious and making a lot less money. Uh, I think now companies and brands have had to accept that these athletes are going to speak up. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of these athletes are unafraid. Um, you look at Kyrie Irving, who, you know, many people criticize, he's unafraid to be unapologetically him, pro-Black uh, and, and, and also uh, pro-Islamic. Um, I, I think there's a lot to dissect there, um, but I, I think that um, that's what today's athlete is. With Brandon Robinson here, one-on-one, -on -one. shifting to the front office um, with Celtics who have been active uh, now trading Kemba Walker to the Thunder. They were got Al Horford um, draft picks exchanged between them as well. I just wanted to get your thoughts on, uh, do you like this trade from both the Thunder perspective and, and the Celtics perspective? What are you thinking about this trade? You know, I called Brad Stevens yesterday. Now I see why he didn't answer his phone. Um, <laughs> He's busy. Uh, but I, what I'll say to you is, um, it seems to me that there are some salary dumps and some things and some moving parts that are going on. Uh, I think for the Pelicans to add Kimber Walker, I actually think if they keep him, I think it's a good move specifically because um, they need some older leadership to a young team. Um, they had that last season with Chris Paul. Uh, I think that to, to pair Shea Gilgis Alexander, again, if Kimba stays, uh, with with Kemba, I think it's a good move, particularly because New Orleans seems to be a, a rehabilitation place for stars uh, to shine. Um, and uh, you saw what Chris Paul did in Oklahoma um, and what he did this year in Phoenix. And so, you know, you look at Kemba's knee. Kemba's knee has been an issue since the beginning of this season. He really didn't want to be there. Um, and I think that when you look at Al Horford, Al Horford got what he wanted when he signed with the 76ers and then he moved into Oklahoma. Uh, he, he fell in love with the Boston Celtics franchise. I'll tell you that, you know, when Philadelphia signed Al Horford, um, it was as a way to uh, cover the loss of Jimmy Butler uh, in free agency to the Miami Heat. And, um, you know, it didn't work out. You know, they, they were, they were, they, they had to beg teams to take him and Oklahoma was the great, the best destination. And then moving him, they ultimately in the Sixers got uh, Danny Green. Uh, so when you look at just Boston and what they're doing, it's great for the fans. I think that if Al Horford stays, uh, he's a guy that did get along with, you know, Jalen Brown and, and, and Jason Tatum and more. Uh, but it seems like Boston is, is try is, is number one trying to re retain Evan Fournier uh, to a to to a longer term deal, good defender, um, but also uh, they're not finished. Um, there are some teams 
um, that that are going to be looking to Will and Dale. And I think that when you look at the Boston Celtics, um, how many people thought that it was a foregone conclusion uh, that um, that that um, Victor Oladipo could become a Celtic. They could be creating some cap space uh, to bring in, you know, the likes of uh, uh, a Damian Lillard or, um, you know, it, it, there's just there's just endless possibilities. The other thing is this, the fact that Brad Steel, Stevens is willing and dealing um, and getting his name out there as a front office guy, he is um, reestablishing faith with 29 other teams um, that the Celtics are players in the trading uh, game because a lot of teams did not trust Danny Ainge. And uh, I still do think that Brad Stevens is advising, or excuse me, I still believe Danny Ainge is advising Brad Stevens his first trade and that front office role, uh, but it, it just gives a new look to the Celtics and what they're trying to accomplish. I, uh, I've got uh, just, just uh, another one kind of following up on that, I guess, um, you know, staying in, uh, I guess, off season moves here for some of the teams that, as the playoffs are still going on, of course, but the Mavericks also, of course, uh, with Donnie Nelson being gone and Rick Carlisle being gone, um, back-to-back days uh, there kind of and then uh, my question with that is uh, first of all what are you thinking about potential replacements for those kind of guys and then also does this kind of threaten uh, Doncic and his uh, his supermax uh, over the summer that he's expected to sign? No it won't it won't affect the supermax um, I think it makes him comfortable to sign it actually uh, I spoke with Mark Cuban earlier this week on the phone and, you know, he intimated to me that, you know, he and Luca are, are close as close as he and, you know, Dirk Nowitzki was uh, when, when he played and you saw that the Dallas Mavericks hired uh, Dirk in a, in a advisory role. Um, and, and to specifically answer your question, you know, $215 million, four or five years on that deal is something that, you know, that the, the Mavericks, uh, and Luca will probably sign this summer, uh, but the, the, but they still need some work. Um, more specifically, you look at Rick Carlisle um, and his relationship with Dennis Smith Jr. Dennis Smith Jr. was ultimately traded to the New York Knicks. Um, I, I'd like to see that the, the Mavericks in good faith try to maybe bring him back, um, but also uh, they need a dominant point guard. They need, a, and I'm saying like, not him specifically, but they need a Chris Paul type guard. Uh, alongside Luka Doncic uh, and, and most perimeter guys or, or most most hybrid forwards like Luka who can you know when you look at hybrid forwards you look at guys like LeBron James you look at uh, Ben Simmons you look at um, uh, Julius Randle you look at uh, Luka and that van they need a, a point guard in that system to kind of offset what they can do and you saw it in Miami with LeBron in their second year um, together after they lost the championship in 2011 to the Dallas Mavericks, you saw that LeBron kind of shifted off the ball some and played a natural small forward position, which was out of his comfort zone at first where he was, was ball dominant and played point guard for so many years. So I think as Luca gets more and more into his career and, and starts cementing things, you wonder if they're going to kind of bring, you know, a, a, a point guard, a pure point guard into kind of offset what he's doing. Um, I look at the Dallas Mavericks and I look at um, Chris Stapps Porzingis personally, I feel like he'd be a, such a great fit with the Chicago Bulls. But I'll add, if you're looking for a dominant point guard, 
I feel as though Lonzo Ball fits that that box, but you you you'd be uh, spending about twenty million a year that you know I, I know Mark Cuban has the money you know if you pay the luxury tax to get that done you, you might be on to something, but I think Lonzo Ball would fit would check boxes with Dallas in that position because he can play both guard spots uh, just like Drew Holiday has been able to do, um, and he can defend both the guard the point guard and the two guard position for for Dallas. So. You know, I, I'll just say that I, I think that um, moving forward, Luca has to question the, the direction of the Mavs. Uh, getting rid of Don Nelson uh, signals that uh, the, the Mavs are hearing him. Um, and I think Michael Finley, if you keep it in-house and relationship-wise, would, would check boxes as far as front office. In the same way that I think, you know, you look at the New York Knicks, Allen Houston uh, checks boxes as far as just, you know, being part of that Knicks culture and being brought in to kind of assist and, and just, you know, being the next phase of young folks who will be in front office positions. So, We'll see what happens, but I do like Michael Finley in that front office position with the Mavs. NBA analyst at Valley Sports, Brandon Scoopy Robinson. Thank you so much for being with you today. I had a pleasure talking to you. Thanks, Scoopy. Guys, thank you for the opportunity to be myself. Appreciate that. One, this is one-on-one. We will return after a short break. New York's longest-running sports call-in show. Stick around.